Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is a bonus episode. It's a bonus episode to go along with our summer series. So I have Jason here with me. Hi, Jason. Hello. So we got some really good questions in response to our summer series, and I thought it would be worthwhile to circle back with Jason and get his responses. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. So first question is from Serena. Serena writes, Jason mentioned that many of the yoga poses work the push muscles. So this was probably on the shoulders episode. Yeah. Any tips on incorporating more pull muscles in a yoga class? Yeah, it's sort of tricky. And I'm going to complicate matters just because I'm having a moment here. Is that okay? Sure. There's really no such thing as push muscles. All muscles actually pull. So what we think of as the push muscles are actually anterior pull muscles. They're muscles that pull on the front and top side of the body. So can you name some of them so I can... Yeah, like, okay, like let's say we're pushing a door open. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. We're using the muscles, we're using the pecs to press the door open. We're using the anterior deltoids to pull the door open. We're using the serratus anterior to pull the door open. We are pulling forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're really pleased with yourself <laughs> right just, now. No, I'm not. I just feel like just if there's any skeptic out there that's that's like there's no such thing as push muscles. They're just anterior pull muscles. I'm, I'm speaking to that skeptic. All right. Because I have that skeptic in me. Okay. Or that it's not skepticism. It's like a weird. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. We'll just leave it at that. Let's leave we it at that. We don't have to label ourselves. Yeah. So it's hard. Okay, so strengthening the muscles of the backside is a difficult job. So really what we're going to talk about here is we're going to talk about the scapular muscles on the backside. So we can think about the uh, rhomboids. We can think about all three fibers of the trapeziums. Think a little bit about serratus posterior. Um, those are the big ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. A little bit, the pole muscles, of the backside of the rotator cuff muscle. We could also think about those, the external rotators, a little bit, the internal rotators. So we're talking about strengthening the muscles of the back of the shoulder girdle. Probably more specifically, we're talking about strengthening the muscles that retract the scapula, that draw the scapula towards the, towards each other, towards mm-hmm, the spine. Toward the spine. Okay. So the only tips that I have is, and any of my 300-hour graduates out there are laughing because they know the answer to this, locust pose. Mm-hmm. But I do this thing, and I have a bunch of classes on Yoga Glow where I do this thing where we create pretend lat pulldowns mm-hmm. or pretend pull-ups, Okay. And we engage those muscles. So if you're listening, you can reach to the arms overhead. You can imagine that you're holding onto a pull-up bar. I will remind you that pull-ups are ridiculously hard. And imagine that you're trying to do a pull-up. So imagine that you're working as hard as you would have to work to do a pull-up. And you bend the elbows and you pull down. And you're so you're also working strongly with lat here. That's a ball and socket muscle. So you're working with lat. So you can do that in warrior two. You can do that in warrior one. There's a pose I teach called warrior one and a half. You can do it. You can do it in Tadasana. You can do it even in locust pose. I have my students do locust with the arms reaching towards their heels and then reach the arms overhead and create that bend the elbows out to the side and against imagined resistance, 
pull the elbows down so they're about the height of the shoulder. Mm -hmm. One of the ways you can do it too is as you are bending the elbows and pulling down, you can imagine that someone is resisting you. Someone is using their hands to push your elbows up and you just slowly win. You just slowly overpower them and pull down. Mm -hmm. So the real challenge that we have, and I don't remember if I brought it up or not in these terms, but the real challenge that we have for accessing these muscle groups in the yoga practice is that we have really limited apparatus, right? So we have our body weight and we have the floor. Mm -hmm. So in order to generate strength on the backside of the shoulder girdle, we sort of have to fudge it a little bit by creating imaginary resistance. But it works. Mm -hmm. I believe that it works. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. When you think about Pilates, it's the same thing. Well, I mean, if you're doing a mat, mat class. Based. And they do similar movements mm -hmm. on the tummy, mm -hmm. arms forward. You kind of do, you can do like the swimming with yeah. the hands or swimming with the legs. Something to add to this is this region of the body is a great region to focus on in your complementary athletic yeah. endeavors, yeah. right? If you, yeah. if you have them, if you, if you do weight training, if you do TRX, TRX straps are really great for yeah. pull exercises yeah. and you can cut you can actually just google that like trx intro pull-ups and there are all these like different variations if you can't do a full pull-up to um, use the trx straps yeah. yeah so and i also find right we have to take everything in context and if you have a secondary or a primary physical discipline in addition to yoga that is swimming or rock climbing or some sort of grappling, then, then you're already training those muscles so significantly that I, that I wouldn't worry about it. But if your asana practice is the main way in which you are strengthening the body and generating physicality, then we want to make sure that we're integrating this, this pull stuff a little bit more overtly. Yeah, that's yep. great. I'm glad she got that message. Yep. This is a good question. Mary writes, Jason has been singing the praises of Locust Pose in the past <laughs> few episodes, and I'm now a believer. However, yes. I am pregnant. Oh, Mary. Currently, I'm only 14 weeks and still comfortably lying on my belly, so Locust is okay. However, I'll eventually have a baby bump, and I was wondering if you could offer any modifications, alternatives for Locust Pose so I can continue to strengthen the back body as I get further along in my pregnancy. And I'm sure there's a lot of teachers out there who you know, have students coming in who are pregnant yeah. as well. Yeah. So caveat, I'm not a prenatal teacher. I have plenty of thoughts and I have plenty of experience with working with women who are pregnant and helping them adapt their asana practice to their pregnancy. But I don't want to come off as someone that, that has a whole level of specialization in prenatal. I, I respect those teachers that teach that with, with more knowledge than me. So yes, the number one thing that I always tell women who are pregnant is you got to give junior room. Don't lay heavily on junior and don't squeeze junior. Okay. Now that's really bare bones, raw, basic advice, but I'm mainly working with people who have an existing yoga practice and they're coming to my vinyasa class and, and they just happen to be pregnant. So one of the things that you could do instead of locust would be the all fours exercises, right? So they're not the most exciting thing in the world, but they work. Mm -hmm. The other thing to remember, and I'll give a moment. So from but, tabletop. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to remember is when you are on all fours, when you're in a tabletop position, 
which I'll speak about in a moment, when you have the additional weight of the pregnancy, your back body gets the, we'll, we'll spin it positive and say the added benefit of having to work a little bit more because the anterior side, the belly and the front ribs are going to be drawing down towards the floor. So using the spinal muscles to keep the spine in its natural curves while on tabletop gives you a little bit of extra strengthening to the back body because you have that additional weight of the front body descending. So you're on all fours, you're in tabletop, and you have a couple different things you can do. The most basic is keep both hands on the ground, straighten one leg back. Mm -hmm. What I encourage my students to do, whether they're pregnant or not pregnant, is to not lift the leg that you lift higher than parallel to the floor. Because I see it all the time. People lift that leg higher than parallel to the floor, and they're tricking themselves. Because for most people, once that leg goes more than parallel to the floor, it's no longer the hip extending, it's the lumbar extending, right? And so don't make it flashy, make it really low range of motion. You can engage your hamstrings in that. You can engage your glutes in that. So you're not going to lift it. Another way to say parallel to the floor is like you're not going to lift it higher than your hip. You're not going to lift it higher than, than your butt. Hip. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So your foot, your le- <laughs> your knee, your leg, parallel to your butt. Yeah. Right? Sometimes even less. Mm-hmm. Right? But when people go higher, it's the pelvis tilting anteriorly. Yeah. And the lumbar increasing its sway. I actually see this at the gym all the time when people are trying to do like the all fours, hamstrings and glutes exercises and they go fast and they just create a ton of anterior tilt and it's it's like, it's not yeah, worth Yeah, and if you're bothering. pregnant, you're already, you're yeah, already, you're already vulnerable have. in that direction. That's right. So, yeah. So the other thing you can do with the one leg up is you can slightly externally rotate the leg, okay? And then when you externally rotate the leg, you will engage more of gluteus max and some of the deep external rotators. So you get hamstrings and you get your butt and some of the deep muscles that live in. Is it like extend the leg back? Straight back. Then externally rotate. Yeah. Then come back to neutral. Then bring the leg down. Yeah, that's how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can do that alternating arms, Mm -hmm. right? So the right leg goes up and back. The left arm goes up and forward. Maintain the natural curve of the lower back, which is going to be meaning that you are not letting junior drop too close to the ground. You're keeping junior up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So front ribs up. Mm-hmm. And then just trust repetitions, trust duration, spend a little bit of time there. You can even, going off the last question, is you could pretend to do one-arm pull-ups. So imagine you're in tabletop, all fours, your right leg goes back, your left arm goes forward. And then make a fist with your left arm, which is currently reaching forward. And then do an imaginary pull-up by drawing the elbow from straight to now parallel to the shoulder. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you could do is think about, okay, well, what is Locust really doing? It's it's just efficiently strengthening the back body. So you could do some of this stuff, like a pose that I teach with some regularity is handless Natarajasana. So you stand in Tadasana and you essentially just do not Tarajasana without holding on to your foot. Mm-hmm. So you reach both arms back like locust, raise one leg. My only reticence here would be, you know, you don't want to mess around with balance if you're pregnant. So just, so just, I, I let me throw that as a caveat out. Have a wall nearby wall. If, yeah. if you have sketchy balance or, mm-hmm. you know, the body changes so much, there's going to be periods of pregnancy where 
you haven't completely sorted out you your know, balance. Your it's balance. true. It changed kind of quickly. So that I think is simple enough. Yeah. Those are yeah. good. question. I'm actually going to answer the next question. Can I, I read it then? Answered, sure. No, I answered it online. Do you want reading. me to? You're terrible at reading. That's hilarious. Just under pressure. I had a boyfriend once, I think it's not you, who when he was really young, they moved to California. No, that's no, not, no not me. And anyway, he had to read in class and he was like in second grade or something. And he was reading the story and it was like, and then we went camping in Yosemite. Yosemite. Yeah, poor and kid. Everyone laughed at him. Yosemite. Okay. Valerie writes, I have a question concerning backbends. I have sensitive knees, but I think I found a way to maintain a healthy practice with those sensitive knees. The only thing I experienced lately and I don't know how to resolve is tension in the knees while doing a backbend. I feel it most in Ustrasana and for sure in bridge pose. It feels like tension from the inside out. I also feel it when I do the classic quad stretch while standing up. Any thoughts? Why do you get to answer this one? Because this is exactly <laughs> the knee pain that I have ex experienced my entire practice uh -huh. and teachers and I feel really strongly about it. Okay. Okay. Do I get to answer it too? Yes, you do. Okay. And you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. I never think you're wrong. I know. Smart man. <laughs> smart man. So what I wrote back to Valerie is a few things. The first thing is I have, have had the exact same experience she's describing. It's not inner knee. It's not outer knee. It feels like it's the inside of the knee. So any little variations that teachers have given me do not help. A classic quad stretch, standing and pulling your one leg, bending your knee and pulling one heel to your butt hurts my knee. So the first thing that I have done that has helped this is I have figured out a quad stretch that doesn't hurt my knee. And it took me a long time to figure that out and to find the right place. But that quad stretch for me is the low lunge quad stretch. And when you're doing that stretch, you want to make sure you're on the you're not on the knee joint in the back knee. You're kind of more on the top of the knee or the lower lower thigh. So that quad stretch is really adjustable. And for me, gets to my quads, gets to my hip flexors. The second thing is, for me, I learn to strengthen my adductors and engage my adductors. And of course, everybody's different. So other people might have strong adductors and weak abductors, outer legs. But for me, I just was, it was really hard for me to kind of support with the full use of my legs. So I had to learn kind of what were the weak spots. For me, it was my inner legs and learn to support my back bends with my whole leg, if that makes sense. And then the last one, and this is why I feel really strongly about answering this question, is I don't do poses that hurt my knees. And you will have yoga teachers come up to you and tell you to try it this way and tell you to try it that way. And then when you tell, and they'll say, does that hurt? And when you say, mm, yeah, it still hurts. They'll look at you like you're crazy. 
because that's, for some reason with knees, this is how yoga teachers are. They think everybody's knees are supposed to flex into bakasana, like frog pose, which mine just don't, and they never will. And it's not important that they do. It's important that I maintain the health of my knees. So you don't have to do things that hurt your knees, and you don't have to listen to yoga teachers. Jason's smirking right now. I'm not smirking. Who tell you that they have the magical fix for your knees. And I I probably get a little bit hot and bothered about this because I really had a teacher, a Nyangar teacher, swear she could fix something in bridge pose for me. And I, you know, I, I really hurt myself for a while and had pain for a while. So those are my thoughts. Do you feel strongly about this? Where it, I love having this little like role reversal. <laughs> I'm just going to be the cool handed host now and you be the passionate. Okay. Can I add my two cents? Absolutely. Okay. So here's a couple of things to think about anatomically. The first thing is that the, that pain in the knee is more often than not ligamentous or tendinous. It is a, you can think about the knee as an extremely small house that is full of constant coming and going. Ornery visitors. Well, there's so much, there's a ton of things that are happening in a very small area. Okay. Um, So Andrea brought up her strengthening her adductors. I'm going to tag on to that by saying it's that when you strengthen your adductors, you also strengthen something much more important with regards to the knee, which is called the vastus medialis obliquus. So you can look this up, the VMOs. And this is sort of pretty standard with the world. It's PT. This is a very, very common situation. I am not diagnosing you in any capacity. I don't have that ability to whether you're here or not. Um, But oftentimes the pain that you are describing, and just to pick up on what Andrea said, I would want to see the strength of your VMOs. So the vastus medialis obliquus is part of the vastus medialis, the most medial of the vasti group, which is one of the four quadriceps. And when it is insufficiently toned, when it has insufficient strength, it can be a little bit harder to keep the train on the track it can be a little bit harder to keep the patella in the groove in which the patella lives. And when you bend the knee deeply, that is a situation under stress that the patella can move a little bit off the track. It's called patellar femoral syndrome, not that you have a syndrome. It's a really common thing. And the poses that you're describing are situations where this type of discomfort is pretty common. I will also say it's usually pretty easy to alleviate it in bridge. It's not so easy to alleviate it in camel, which you've brought up, and it's not so easy to alleviate it in the deep sort of quad opening stretches, but it's it's almost... I haven't had a situation in the last many years where someone have described knee pain in bridge where we couldn't figure it out. So I'm going to have you experiment with the following things. I don't have pain in bridge anymore. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I've I've done these things and I don't have pain anymore. That's great. Yeah. So, right. So in addition to this, but if she wants to integrate bridge back into her practice, Mm -hmm. a couple of things that I would experiment. First thing that I would experiment is break all of the rules. I will deny ever saying this. Break all of the rules first. Take your feet a little further away from your butt 
And then two, take your feet a tiny bit wider. Mm -hmm. If those don't work, when no one is looking, turn your feet a little bit away from each other. Mm -hmm. So you can turn your feet out a little bit. Yep. Those three things almost invariably work. If those don't work, get two blocks and take your feet on those blocks. If that doesn't work, get rid of the block. And then when you do bridge pose, squeeze the knees a little bit more towards each other. If that doesn't work, pull the knees a little further away from each other. If that doesn't work, you ain't doing bridge anytime soon. Mm -hmm. But those seven or eight things almost invariably will take the discomfort away in those specific poses. Yeah. I'm going to say one more quad stretch that's, that's probably the most effective quad stretch for what you need to deal with, which is probably um, rectus femoris, okay? So we in, in yoga, it's really common that we do anjaneyasana, right? If you're not quite sure what that is, make sure to look it up. So an anjaneyasana, it's a deep lunging squat where one leg is forward and the other leg is back. I've been pulling a little bit off of teaching this pose, or I've been teaching it actually really differently lately, which is to do anjaneyasana with a shorter stride And instead of releasing the hip forward and down, pull the hips a little bit up and back so that the pelvis is actually directly over the back knee and the back leg is vertical. And then from there, strongly draw draw the abdominals in and lengthen the buttock towards the back of the knee. So really what it's like is it's like a kneeling supdivirasana. And what for most people that will do is that will get up into the hip flexors along with the quadriceps and, and usually have a pretty good result. Yeah. It, but if the pain, if there's discomfort from being directly on the knee with that, then skip that one and just go with the one that Andrea advised earlier. Go, try both of those, see how they work. I'm just going to add one thing to bridge pose. And this is, might sound like the most obvious thing in the world when Jason was going through the possibilities of figuring out how to alleviate pain in bridge pose. The last thing I would try is to literally do 50% of the pose, yeah. 50% of your effort. So I know that sounds really obvious, but with something like this pose, with something like backbends, we we unconsciously push ourselves all the time. Yeah. And that just, for me, creates pressure in the knee. So if you still want to get the benefits of bridge pose, a little bit of stretch along the front body and toning and strengthening the gluteals and the hamstrings, you can still do that at 50% of the pose. Totally. I'm going to throw out one more really quick thing, okay? Which is just to remember yoga can be really difficult. Yoga can be turbulent, but yoga shouldn't hurt, you know, and it shouldn't hurt in very specific, isolated local places. And especially in scenarios where multiple similar actions create the same local pain, right? So that's the number one thing. If if you're getting discomfort in the same local place, time and time again, then that way of doing those things is not working. And even though I make a living as one of the alignment, technical-oriented vinyasa yoga teachers out there, the longer I've done this and the more I've studied, the more I understand about anatomy and dynamics, the less black and white I am. The more I am willing to say, okay, let's look at any given pose, bridge, whatever it is, and let's look at it as a template that has a certain a certain black and white set of parameters. But let's experiment a little bit with those parameters 
if it isn't working for the body that is present in it. Right, right. Yeah. Great. Okay, we're going to fit in one last question. Maja writes, in Ordhvadhanurasana, so in wheel pose, many yeah. teachers cue that you should keep the feet parallel and avoid rotating them out. Mm-hmm. I've never fully understood why this is better from an anatomical point of view. And then the part two of her question, which I think is really funny, is do you practice together? <laughs> and if so, who no. leads? No. <laughs> so We cute. love you, Maja. No. It's adorable. No. We used to practice together. That's kind of why I brought it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when we were... Um, Back when Jason was courting me. Come on. Well, you know, when we were friends. Yeah, courting is right. (laughs) We did practice together and it was fun. We were young and we had a lot of time on our hands. And I learned a lot from you, actually. Likewise. Yes. But we, we, we don't anymore because we are just kind of juggling parenting life and all those other things. And it's a nice escape from everything to yeah. do stuff on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so on to Ordhvadhanurasana. Yeah. Do I have to answer this? The Ordhvadhanurasana question? It's so it's so confounding actually. I thought it would be way harder for you to answer the question of whether or not we practice together and who leads. No, no, the, the answer <laughs> is no. Okay, so here's the deal. I just said in the last one, that if something isn't working, if bridge pose isn't working in the knees, take the feet a little wider apart and allow them to rotate away. So I'm going to say the same thing about Urdhvatanyarasana. I think that there are plenty of situations in which people with a slightly longer, wider, and slightly externally rotated stride do really well and actually benefit from that position. So one of the things that I feel is really important for all of us yoga teachers is, you know, like a two-year-old is to say, why, why, why? So I actually really appreciate this, like, well, I appreciate this questioning of this common taken for granted instructions, because I'm going to say there's a lot of common taken for granted instructions that I used to use that aren't right, Mm -hmm. that I don't use anymore. That I was just saying because I heard, but I didn't actually understand. Or at the very least, like you just said, they're not black and white. Yeah, they're not black and white. So let's make the theoretical case for why one shouldn't externally rotate the legs, turn their feet out, okay? And then let me sort of say whether or not I really think that that's accurate, okay? So number one is that when the thighs externally rotate, that rotates the pelvis posteriorly over the thighs, which may create less thoracic spine opening. When you anteriorly tilt the pelvis over the thighs, you create more thoracic opening. Now, all of that being said, I will usually take posterior tilt, letting the pelvis rotate backwards over the thighs, and less thoracic opening any day of the week. Because when I allow my pelvis to rotate backwards over the thighs in a back bend, my lower back and sacrum feel way better, mm. even if I don't go further in the thoracic spine. But if someone were to say, keep the pelvis neutral or slightly anteriorly tilt the pelvis in a back bend, I don't necessarily think that's wrong. I don't like that trade off. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the second thing is that. There's this long-standing belief that 
if you externally rotate the thighs and then if you engage your glutes, because those are sort of one and the same, actually. If you externally rotate the thighs and you engage the external rotating part of the glute, that you will, quote unquote, compress your sacrum and jam your lower back, okay? I think this is actually largely incorrect. And this is something that I said for at least 10 years. And it's something that I think that the whole... Now, I shouldn't say the whole. What I'll say is I'm really thankful for a younger generation of yoga teacher that's really well-educated, that is talking about the importance of gluteal engagement and hip stabilization. I think that in yoga, we vilified for so long the, the skillful engagement of glutes. And now, hopefully, we're going full cycle where we're realizing that using your glutes does not compress the sacrum. It stabilizes the region. Using your glutes, especially the extensor part of glute, does not make the hamstrings not work. They, those are synergists. They work together. I also want to say that engaging your butt does not jam the lower back. Going too far in the pose jams the lower back. Mm-hmm. I wrote this article for, for it was a long time ago. We'll, we'll republish it on our blog sometime soon. And it's about when to engage and when not to engage your glutes and backbends. And when I published this, it was really interesting because there was a doctor of physical therapy that wrote back in the comment section. And he wrote this really, really cogent comment. And he said, look, engaging muscles is not and cannot in and of itself, be a threat to the joints that they operate on. Going too far is. So So I wonder if not engaging the glutes was a way to keep people from having the strength to push too far into the lumbar. It's possible. I'll finalize the point here, which is going too far, moving the pelvis too far relative to the lumbar, and forcing the lumbar mm-hmm. into too strong of extension can cur- cur- compress the lower back. Mm-hmm. So going too far is the, in the pose is the problem, especially in a world right now that it just so fetishizes flexibility, right? But going too far is the problem. Can the glutes help you go too far pretty quick, pretty easily? Yes. Mm. I have to own that. I have to own that and say, okay, If you are full-on engaging glutes, can you more easily go too far? Yeah. Yes. Strong. Turning the feet out, driving through those legs, firing your butt sort of indiscriminately Mm -hmm. and firing away. Can that make you go too far? Absolutely, it can make you go too far. Can we put firing your butt indiscriminately on a T-shirt? Absolutely. (laughs) It's going to be our new quote. All the time. A new meme. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hear this out, okay? The potential for doing too much of something is not when working with adults, good justification for saying, don't do that at all. (laughs) You know, I'm just tired of it. I'm so tired of it. (laughs) I feel like people, like we need to talk up to people, not down to people. Yeah. You know, and it's almost like we treat people like, I mean, plenty of teachers don't have the information, but I mean, it's like we teach people like they can't possibly assimilate 
gray area. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, if some, if like Jody uses her glutes, her pelvis is going to explode into a thousand pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, give me a break. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's actually teach. Let's actually use qualifiers. And I would say that the last thing with this is, I sort of think about it like if Sophia came walking in here with a box of matches, what are we going to tell her? Right, we're going to be like, okay, sweetheart, you, it's that's not safe to play with those. Now, you know, when she's an adult, do I want her to think that it's not safe to use a match? It's not. I don't want her to think that. I want her to know that there's different levels of information at different phases of an experience. But the thing that happens all the time is teachers teach people these this really basic information that is just oftentimes not that thorough and not that thought through. We just need to keep coming of an age where we're able to have a greater level of discernment with what we're doing with the body and say it instead of saying, use this or don't use this. Yeah. So it's refining your, your language. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You did it. Yeah. You answered the, you answered the question. I did it. There's so many more things I want to say about it though. I know, but we'll save that for another episode. Maybe. Promise. I promise. And I also remembered that I do want to start practicing with you again. My heavens. I already said this publicly, so I, but I haven't said it publicly to you, which is that I'm going to take you to an acro class. I'd love to go to an acro class. You already told me oh, that. Oh, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. I was even thinking, like, maybe Sophia could try it. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see about okay, that. Right. Might be Might be babysitter time. Yeah. 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 But I'm going to tell you what. I'm totally going to win when we go to that acro class. I'm going to crush it. <laughs> going to crush it. Oh, my God. I'm totally going to win. Gold medal acro guy. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's that's definitely the point. So I'm yeah. glad you're on board. I'm Good. glad you're on board. Yeah. Okay. You got we'll it. get our team uniform. We'll get a team name. Yeah. And then we'll win together. Winners. Okay. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 62. And I will put some visuals for the things that we discussed in the episode Let's get that glute blog republished. Yes. In your I'll put a link to that. I'll put illustrations. It's going to be fabulous. Go check yep. it out. And until next week, enjoy your practice.